It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thanks so much for being with me as we roll into one of the most beautiful, beautiful months, October. Roll through it, rather. So I'm going to start off a little bit where I left off last week. Won't spend a lot of time on it because we'll have more opportunity in the uh, coming months. And then I'm going to talk about one of the favorite things, which to do with your kids. Uh, or if you have grandkids, grandkids, to do with watching the leaves fall. And then we have a new visitor to the state of Illinois, which has arrived from Texas. And there's a new report out on hunter numbers, which is truly interesting. But let me start off with, once again, taking you north of the border to that wonderful place called Manitoba. And last week I discussed how there was a, a move underway to potentially limit non-resident hunters coming to Manitoba. Dennis Anderson of the Minneapolis Star Tribune and, and arguably the best outdoor writer still standing, um, writing, wrote a great piece this week about why would Manitoba do this to its wonderful neighbors to the south, particularly to Minnesotans who comprise more of the non-resident hunting population in Manitoba than any other state. So I'm not going to go into great detail again, but I am going to cover a couple things that have come up. It appears that the Outfitting Association in Manitoba, all 60 of them, have banded together, and they are the driving force to stop Americans from coming to Manitoba to hunt waterfowl unless you use a guide. They happen to only represent about somewhere around 30% of the hunters that actually come to the province to hunt. So a group representing maybe 30% of the hunters is now dictating to the government what should happen for the other 70%. It's a absolutely vested self-interest power grab by the outfitters in Manitoba and it comes at a time when it appears the conservative party in Manitoba uh, may get swept out uh, next year, unless things change, uh, out of power. And the Manitoba Wildlife Federation, which all these, all 60 outfitters uh, are members of, are pretty strongly aligned with the Conservative Party. So it's almost as though it's a political payback, payback before the potentially the Conservative Party gets thrown out of power. So this is not something that is going over well at all. And then it was rumored, and I use rumored because the law won't be set until next spring, the rules. It was rumored that the individuals in the government, uh, I guess the legislators um, who are furthering this, realized that this was not going to be popular with Americans. So they tried to do a carve-out or attempting to do a carve-out for Americans who own land or belong to hunting clubs or lodges in Manitoba. 
Well, that's going to be a very small percentage of the number of Americans who actually hunt in Manitoba. So that is going to be really unpopular if there's a carve out for an influential handful of members, excuse me, a handful of landowners in Manitoba who happen to be Americans, leaving everyone else uh, to go into a draw while that handful of landowners uh, would not have to. And ironically, most of those landowners hunt on Crown, which is the same as our public lands. They don't own a lot of land because in Manitoba, you're not allowed to own a lot of land as a foreigner. So it's very difficult to understand why they, a few landowners of small properties or who belong to hunting clubs who are Americans who primarily hunt on public lands would be given a special carve-out. And then it was also been floated that maybe there should be a special carve-out for uh, conservation organizations. So Delta Waterfowl, Ducks Unlimited, and by the way, uh, they did not ask for this. Neither Delta nor Ducks Unlimited has asked for this, um, that they would be granted a series of licenses so that they can continue to bring contributors to Canada to show them the good work they're doing. Uh, what I have learned recently is that both groups want nothing to do with that. Can you imagine the bad public relations if a special carve-out is given for conservation groups who bring uh, philanthropists to Manitoba, while again, 99 or 98% of the hunters who come uh, are going to go into a lottery system. So the whole thing is truly messed up. And Dennis Anderson, as he can, is so good at, really pointed out the folly of what's going on and put it right where it belongs. This is a power grab by a handful of outfitters in Manitoba to ensure that they have a healthy business going forward at the expense of the thousands of, of Americans who go to Canada each year and choose not to use an outfitter. The last thing about this is that the Manitoba government appears to be very upset that uh, Americans, which comprise a small percentage of roughly half of the uh, Canadian population who hunt in Manitoba shoot more ducks than the Canadians, and they don't think that's right. Well, it's the outfitters who are professional hunters who tie up the best field, scout every day, live there all the time, and then take out parties of hunters who have great success who are, as a result, shooting most of the ducks in Manitoba. It's not American freelancers. It's people who are hunting with the outfitters. So not only are the outfitters tying up the land, the outfitters' clients are shooting more ducks from the Canadians. Uh, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. It's going to, I believe and fervently hope that cooler heads prevail before this law would be passed next spring and that there's a lot of research done, a lot of dialogue, and that this really ill-conceived notion that it's non-resident Americans who are destroying the hunting in Manitoba uh, is put to rest. Speaking of put to rest, I'm going to talk about something that happens each fall, and it's not exactly a great segue, but put to rest each fall are the falling of leaves from the trees. You're going to say, Charlie, what are you talking about? Each fall, there is a magical moment when the leaves basically just drop. And each fall, I look for that magical moment, and I try to find myself in a quiet place under a tree when the leaves, for no apparent reason, 
just start to fall. And I've told this before on the air, but it's one of my favorite stories. Many, many years ago with my young daughter, I was sitting under a sycamore tree in our yard. It was a beautiful fall day. There was absolutely no wind. We were just sitting there as as I did with my kids at times, just sitting, talking. And she was about five. She won't remember this. This is certainly not what I said. And all of a sudden, the leaves started to fall off the sycamore tree. The sycamore trees have very, very large leaves. There wasn't a breath of wind. There had been no rain. And yet, in a period of about an hour, the tree literally lost almost all of its leaves. And from that moment on, I have tried each fall to find a tree where that's going to happen because it's just something to watch. The helicopter down, you wonder why. But the reason I find it so fascinating is it's an experience that's truly natural. And if you can get the right tree on the right day, it's just it's one of those times when you remove yourself, as I like to do, from all the worries of the world, and you just sit under this tree and you watch them fall. And and I can tell you, thoughts enter your mind about how and why and the age of the tree and all kinds of things. And if you can do it with a young child, well, that's extra special. In fact, I advise only doing it with a young child because their wonderment of what's happening is 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 so special. So this fall, whether it's an oak or a maple or preferably a sycamore because of the size of the leaves or an elm, wherever you're listening, find a tree you think is extra special. And if the right day comes, just spend a moment or two, an hour or so, whatever, watching the leaves fall, float down. It's, it's in many ways, it's, it's, it's very therapeutic and, dare I say, somewhat spiritual. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in just a moment. And when I do, I'm going to talk about this four-legged animal that's walked its way to Illinois. Thanks to Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN, and now a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. When sunrise is your alarm clock, life is different. You eat a ditch for breakfast. Love the smell of diesel in the morning with a hot cup of joe. The weather report is 40% chance of mud. And corporate pull, that's 36,000 pounds of towing capacity with a gooseneck trailer. Mudden is PTO. You know sometimes when the paved road ends, the fun begins. Chevy Silverado 3500 HD is waiting to run over something, anything. No road, no problem, because the best way out is always through. A trouble rides a swift horse, and you don't want trouble pulling a backhoe loader. Chevy Silverado HD is a wake-up call. Now, during Chevy truck season, get a $1,000 accessory allowance toward the purchase of a new truck with accessories. You worked hard for your money. Spend it smart. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer today or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for all the details. Chevy Silverado HD. Power up and experience life in HD. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Hope you're enjoying the show. Get ready. The armadillos are coming. You may have heard this. Armadillos are now being spotted fairly frequently in southern Illinois. 
this is not something that we want to have. Armadillos are a possum-sized creature, and they've been creeping north for decades, and they are moving into the land of Lincoln. And they are not welcome. Having uh, spent a lot of time in Mississippi and married a lovely lady from Natchez, Mississippi, I know about the perils of armadillos and the holes they dig and the mess they make of fields and lawns. And they are not native to Illinois. So they are a little bigger than a possum. They are nearly blind. And they kind of resemble a cross between an anteater and a giant potato bug. (laughs) They're not pretty. And they have a very hard shell. And they've been moving north from Texas for decades. And now they are throughout southern Illinois. They, uh, as I said, they, they tear up yards, they tear up agricultural fields, and they're not any good around highways, and the highways are a place where many of them meet their demise. Um, so how did they get here? They just simply walked over time. And they walked because the habitat apparently is favorable for them or has become favorable for them. Um, as far as I know, we don't have uh, armadillos in Chicago. If we do, please let me know. But certainly, they're working their way here. Whether they could actually survive our winters, that would be a big question. But the real question, I think, is interesting, is how, how does a tiny animal with little short legs and a thick skull cross the Mississippi River and end up in Illinois, because they came from Texas. That's where they originally were. So it's University of Southern Illinois at Carbondale is, um, is researching this. Um, they're, let's face it, they're not an invasive species to America. They're certainly an invasive species to Illinois in the Midwest. Um, obviously, they're good swimmers. They made it here. Uh, they will reproduce rapidly. Um, and as, as I read in the report about them coming, this is, I thought, amazing. Um, a, rap, a armadillo egg splits into four identical embryos. Um, so think about that. They, they, one egg becomes four. Other theories are they uh, cross bridges at night, or they ended up in train cars, or they end up in the back of, of, uh, of semi-trailers. However they got here, they're here, and they are not welcome. Um, So what do they eat? They eat insects that are in the soil, which is why they grub the surface and and absolutely tear, tear uh, things up. It's reported that I believe that armadillos actually arrived from Mexico around 1850 from Texas, according to a report uh, from the Wall Street Journal, which was the one who who uh, broke the story, at least recently. Um, and they, uh, we don't know much about them as far as uh, we do about diseases, but we do know that they carry bacteria uh, that apparently can cause leprosy, yikes, though no armadillo in Illinois has been, te- has been tested, has been a carrier, he said, but um, 
they are definitely, as so many animals are, they, they carry parasites and diseases. Um, they are not, I mean, they've never been suited for a cold climate. They don't have any fur. Uh, they have a low natural body temperature, and they're not very fat. So what are they doing? How are they continuing to expand now into central Illinois and, and, and ever moving northward and probably into Iowa? And so um, we just really don't know what is going on. But um, they are here, and they're going to be with us. Uh, They've tried to get rid of them in Texas for um, forever. They've tried to get rid of them, believe me. They've tried to get rid of them in Mississippi, and they have not, in Arkansas, and they have not. So I would, I would guess that um, they are going to be with us for all time here. Now, as far as controlling them, they're, they're not very bright. They don't move when they're hit with a spotlight. They're not fast at all. So if you went after them, um, you are going to be able to, at least in your immediate area, your yard or farm field, potentially, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be able to lower their population. But my guess is they're going to become like raccoons. And that is absolutely not what we want to have in Illinois, another invasive species, but we've got it. So folks be ready. When you see an armadillo dead on the road in Illinois, that's what it is. It's a rare sight, once an unheard of sight, not so rare anymore and becoming more common, but they're here and they came from Texas. Um, quickly, before I end the show, I'm going to just talk for a second about um, this incredible report that's come out, which is talking about hunter numbers in the post-COVID year. And, and what it means, it's the special report on hunting and the shooting sports put out by the National Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. And the top line, as we predicted, you heard it here a year ago, we had a COVID bump. And after COVID passed, participation in hunting and archery shooting in America, particularly hunting, was going to decline last year. And it did. So um, it's about a 3 to 4% decline from uh, 2020. We thought 2020 in, in COVID year was, was an artificial bump, and it does look like that's the case. I'll have much more on that next week. It's a very interesting report. I thank you so much for listening, and if you have the chance, go out and watch a few leaves fall. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.